Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The Middle East, specifically the Israeli-Palestinian situation, has always been really emotional and very, very explosive. And the conflict has never been confined to just that region either, of course. People with ties, you know, cultural, religious, whatever, have always felt really invested and felt had very strong feelings about what has happened there, what should happen there, what is happening. Like I say, it goes back many, 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 many years. This latest clash uh, comes at a time when we already have a really deeply divided society, right? And, and this issue, like every other one that comes along these days, has become yet another thing that we can disagree with and battle each other over, and we have. And you've seen the stories. Incidents of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia have skyrocketed. People have lost their lives in the United States. Um, but there's been very dangerous incidents in Canada with uh, Jewish schools being shot, you know, bullet holes in Jewish schools in Montreal. There's also been huge protests, massive rallies, both in support of Israel and in support of the Palestinian cause. Um, thousands of Canadians in the streets all across the U.S. and Canada. And once again, it's put pressure on post-secondary institutions, places where at one time the exchange of ideas and healthy debate was foundational. But as you know, in recent years, that guiding principle has fallen victim to the divisive nature of the world that we live in and the Middle East situation once again testing what should what should not be happening on college campuses right across the country, in particular here in Alberta, because we've got some history around this. So let's find out where we are and what we need to do. We're going to speak with Dax Durazio, Peacock Postdoctoral Fellow in Pedagogy at the Department of Political Studies at Queen's University. Dax, thanks for being here. I appreciate your time. It's a pleasure to speak with you. So, you know, like I say, at one point in time, right, um, the debate of issues, just like this one, and really any other issue, that was kind of... Part of the bedrock of campus life, that freedom of expression was non-negotiable. It's sort of what was supposed to happen on campus, right? Indeed. Um, it's pretty difficult to argue with the fact that free expression is a foundational pillar of universities. Their core mission is to pursue knowledge and truth, and they essentially cannot do that unless free expression is not just protected, but promoted. Exactly. But we've seen that change uh, in recent years. And I, I can think of a number of controversial right-wing speakers who caused all kinds of problems in Canada. So we've seen a shift where some ideas have really were, I, I guess, suppressed would be the only way to put it, right? There have been a range, and sometimes it's really difficult to keep up, of cases and controversies across Canadian university campuses. Um, years previously, we witnessed a lot of really acrimonious campus disputes in the United States, and a lot yep. of those same debates, at least on the merits of what those specific issues were. Some of that has... Um, come into Canada as well. You might call it the culture wars. You might call yep. it something else. Then we also have um, really distinctly Canadian cases and controversies related to controversial uni university professors, um, controversial student groups, um, various events that need to be moved for security-related concerns. Um, so there's a really complicated politics of free expression that's, that's happening on university campuses. That said, at least generally speaking, if we think about freedom of expression in Canadian society as one big system that has various um, protections and rules and regulations, 
university campuses still are, in general, um, some of the places where thought and discussion is the most free. Um, I mean, if you compare a university campus to, say, a private employer, um, for example, we spend a lot of our lives um, going to work every day. Um, employment contacts are a place where expression is constrained to a significant degree. On a university campus, students, professors, even sometimes administrators are all encouraged to share their opinions on, you know, contemporary um, political and, and public affairs. Um, also, there's a bit of a um, a... I don't want to necessarily call it um, a trope, but an idea that freedom of expression is necessarily um, imperiled on university campuses. There's some of that I might push push back on, and part of it is uh, partisan politics when we see certain policy responses related to what's happening on campus. Yeah. But I think for um, most people, it's relatively clear that universities are having a, a, a pretty hard time trying to navigate what the reasonable limits of expression ought to be on campuses. Yeah, and, and, and you mentioned the politics of it, and unfortunately, that's impossible to separate. In fact, and um, you know, Alberta and in Ontario too, but here in Alberta, uh, when the government was elected five years ago, they vowed to fix that, to put in some framework, right? They talked about this very issue uh, in both Alberta and Ottawa, and legis- well, not legislating, but at least coming up with some some <clears throat> understanding on how to go forward on Alberta campuses. Yes, that's right. And the Chicago principles was what was recommended. What are, to be honest, reading your piece was the first time I've, I've encountered the Chicago principles. So what are we talking about here? Yeah, so it, it came about roughly 2014, 2015. It's proprietary to the University of Chicago, as you might imagine. Basically, there was a handful of really acrimonious, expressive controversies at the University of Chicago. Um, Going back historically, there were also some really huge controversies. Just to give you one example, um, somebody representing the Communist Party um, was supposed to speak on campus. This was during the height of um, McCarthyism in the United States, and the University of Chicago uh, did their best to protect that individual's um, expression. So there's a particular historical and institutional context here, and essentially, in the context of more recent controversies, the University of Chicago struck up this task force, got some really highly reputable um, legal scholars to look at some of the issues at play, and they came up with a basic, um, relatively uncontroversial statement, call, and, and it's been dubbed the Chicago Principles, and it gained a lot more traction in American politics, especially on campuses when an organization called the Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education, it's kind of like a self-styled watchdog of expression on campus there. Um, they used it as the basis of a nationwide campaign and asked university presidents and institutions to sign on or endorse the principles, and they've now been greeted as a sort of gold standard, at least according to to some in a policy realm. And so in Ontario, when there was um, an election 2018, and then subsequently also in in Alberta, when there were conservative majorities, they um, mandated that post-secondary institutions in their provinces conform in some way to the Chicago principle. So in Alberta, Every post-secondary institution, with the exception of Berman University, has either created a free expression statement or revamped their existing free expression statement to ostensibly be in conformity with the Chicago principles. 
We have, uh, in this country, of course, like freedom of expression runs up against hate speech. We, we, like, we do have limitations uh, that not necessarily apply in the United States to the same extent. So how do you, is that part of the issue that we have here? Because, you know, discriminatory speech, incitement to violence, hate speech, whatever, you, I mean, there's a whole bunch of different categories. How do you make those two work together? Because some things do cross the line. Yes, of course. Yeah, and the, the term in Canadian law or Canadian jurisprudence would be reasonable limits, so that language comes directly from, from the Charter and the, the Limitations Clause. Um, one of the reasons that some argue that the Chicago Principles are not apt or don't adopt, aren't able to adopt to a, a, a Canadian law or that they just reflect a sort of American flavor of free speech or free expression. Um, right. The American version, arguably, of free speech is a little bit more tolerant of extreme forms of expression. I and, mean, you know, we could think of lots of um, examples of that. The Skokie case, for example, um, I think 1977 is a pretty visceral um, example of that, where you have ardent civil libertarians, um, many of whom are Jewish, working laboriously through the courts to um, protect essentially neo-Nazis um, to march in a town that has a high proportion of Holocaust survivors living in it. And that case has been really emblematic of an American conception of, of freedom of speech. Canada is a little bit more friendly to restrictions on expression. So we have various anti-discrimination yep. legislation and human rights codes across the provinces and also federally um, that prohibit certain discrimin discriminatory forms of expression. We also have hate speech prohibitions in the criminal code. The Chicago principles, if they're considered controversial, um, are because it, it's seen as importing a more American version of, of freedom of speech into into Canada that doesn't really um, jive. That said, based on the incorporation of the Chicago principles in various post-secondary institutions in Ontario and Alberta, there's an almost explicit recognition that the, those Chicago principles don't, in effect, override already existing laws. So hate speech prohibitions, criminal ones, still apply That's, on campus yeah. and same with same with human human rights prohibitions or sorry human rights um codes the tricky part is that we know that speech or expression that falls short of those reasonable limits can still be uh, ranging from uncomfortable all the way to genuinely harmful and so most expression that's catalyzing these really acrimonious debates lie in the sort of gray area between the merely uncomfortable and the potentially discriminatory. And there's often lots of efforts made on all sides of the political spectrum um, to say that certain form of expression is X or, or Y. Um, there's often a lot of disagreement about that. For sure. There absolutely is. Do you think we now have a system in place that will, obviously, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be messy, I think, Dax, right? I mean, that's part of this. That's part of the exchange of the ideas. There's going to be battles, struggles back and forth on this. But do you think we've reached a point where we've got something that can manage this, given what we have seen uh, on campuses right now. Uh, you know, today there will be protests on campuses, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, we also have to reconcile with the fact that um, given the nature of polarizing political issues, a university decision-making is not going to please everyone. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, university decision makers are human, which means they're also fallible, and so they might goof up from time to time, and also make decisions that, with some you know more sober uh, hindsight, they'd have done differently if they had more more information or or things had had changed. Um, the two big things that I think we ought to to keep our focus on are 
Um, the fact that universities um, are in almost remorseless competition with each other, we have funding for universities that is stagnant or declining, and so universities are much more reliant on additional sources of revenue, especially from, from third parties. Um, when they're in a condition of financial precarity, which they undoubtedly are uh, across Canada, it's really difficult for their decision-making to be principled. And so there's a real tension between some of these really lofty ideals we have for universities and how willing and capable they are of actually putting them into practice. The other thing is a bit more theoretical, which is um, in contemporary political discourse, often a way to advance your claim is to demonstrate some sort of victimhood. A part of this is what you might describe as the legalization of, of politics. And mm-hmm. so there's this really complicated um, political question, which is what are legitimate, what types of harm are actually legitimate justifications for restricting expression? Um, that's the primary substance yeah, of the, the issue. dispute that we see on campus. What does harm look like? Yep. And what type of harm um, is is so grave or injurious that universities can legitimately restrict expression? In, almost, in the context of almost every single um, social political dispute we see on campus that lies at the root and some of the work that I'm doing in an academic and a public context is trying to look at um, how we conceptualize harm and how concepts of harm are, are really consequential for all of these different controversial political issues and um, to try to sort of get rid of the the noise of the culture wars and actually focus on what the substantive disagreement is in each of these cases or controversies. So important, but but, but so hard to do, Dex, but you're right, that, that, that is at the heart of it. Um, thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate you being here. No problem. My pleasure. Take care. Yeah. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.